Hi everyone, I'm Kara Scott and welcome to the Heart of Poker sponsored by 8 at 8 Poker where we aim to get to know the people behind the cards. I use a slightly modified version of the questions from the 36 questions to fall in love study. These were developed by psychologists 25 years ago as part of an experiment to see if they could make total strangers fall in love with a kind of shortcut for getting to know someone on a deeper level fast. My guest this time is Patrick Leonard, British poker pro, longtime ambassador for party poker and co-founder of staking group BitBee. His online tournament results are basically the kind that most players dream of being able to achieve even just a fraction of, including cashing for over a million and a half in a single online event in 2020. That's incredibly impressive. Um, thanks for coming on, Patrick. It's a, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Yeah, good to be here. Good to be here. We actually haven't um, met or spoken before, or you probably assume that, but actually, um, if it, when people ask me how I got into poker, uh about 15 years ago i won a like magazine contest to uh -huh. go to a poker boot camp or academy or something <gasps> it was called and it was actually in um, bristol oh my gosh um, and it was a, it was run by sky poker oh my and gosh it was run by yourself and tk <laughs> and a few of the other guys <laughs> and uh that was the weekend I decided, okay, I'm going to try to become a poker professional. So uh, wow. you probably don't realize, but you actually impacted um, <laughs> my oh life my and my career more than you could have uh, imagined. Uh, obviously, this was a long, long, long time ago. Now you probably don't remember. but uh, No, I completely remember that. And actually, I think I'm like madly blushing right now because I'm going to assume that you looked at all of us and were like, if they can be professionals, <laughs> yeah, well, then I can be a professional. So <laughs> uh, it wasn't so much that it was more like the things you were saying. Um, I guess you guys were just like, it's not that difficult. It's like, um, <laughs> this was a was long speaking, time ago. <laughs> you were speaking more about like the lifestyle and like the tour mm. and experiences that you'd had. And it was, ah. it was, you were like, not glamorizing it, but you were like speaking positively about poker, obviously, as, as your ambassadors. Yeah. And um, I always had trouble with my parents, like accepting poker mm. uh, initially. And I kind of lied to them. I was like, oh, yeah, um, we've just finished the weekend. And I spoke to uh, to Cara and Tika and, <laughs> and they both said, I have everything what it takes to be a, a poker pro. And you never <laughs> said that to me, but I was kind of I was kind of looking for um I was just basically trying to get my parents to accept my like hobby, let's say at the time, yeah. because they really didn't. And uh, and so yeah, I made it. I made up a fake quote from you. So uh, apologies. For that. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I'm stunned. That's really boy. That's really cool. I, I remember yeah. that actually because I remember they made us all the same white um, button up shirts with like the logo on it and everything. And I felt really, <laughs> I felt really fancy. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe that I'm teaching at like a seminar. And I did a whole thing about um, about tells, yeah. And I'm like a mass of tells, even at this point, because I don't play very much live anymore, especially. And I remember at the time, like going through it and just wow, and being kind of feeling kind of impressed that I could actually be up there talking about it. So I'm glad it made a difference. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's how that's how it all started. So it's quite funny how uh, wow we, we come to this now. Yeah. No kidding. Man, that is weird. I'm glad you told me that's that's a hell of a story. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this, what we're going to be doing is talking about through some like fairly personal-ish questions. They get more personal as we go through. They're kind of broken into three different sets. Are, are you the kind of person who spends much time thinking through like those really big questions in life? You know, like, who are we? What's uh, our yeah. purpose? Ah, yeah. yeah, very, very much so. Yeah. Cool. Very, very much so. Um, 
Well, okay. Well, I've been watching your Twitter account recently as well, and I I can't go to Vegas this year for the World Series, and clearly you can't because yeah. <laughs> you've been like raiding your FOMO. Um, so so you're not able to to get over there. No, we we have the the travel ban, unfortunately. Um, mm. You can go to like Mexico or Canada for like two weeks, but yeah, I kind of like almost morally, like if they're saying we don't really want you guys to come because of health stuff yeah. and then you like, kind of get rounded by like traveling around the world to get there if anything uh-huh. that makes me less um or more dangerous to the country yeah. probably you know because i've passed in airports and stuff so mm-hmm. i thought it's not really fair you know if they if they don't want us there like mm-hmm. don't go kind of thing whatever it is what it is um so yeah yeah i, just- I totally respect that um I really wanted to be there like the last year at the Rio as well. Like it's kind of a big deal and I'm not being able to do like, this is the third uh, year out of four that I've not been able to do twice because of the pandemic. And once because I just had a baby and I feel like I just wanted to go so badly, but it just kind of doesn't make sense for me to be responsible, <laughs> you know, my yeah. own like home situation and and all of that. And my, you know, I have a child who's not vaccinated and, mm. and all of that. And yeah, I guess it would have been nice to kind of just jump on a plane and spend two weeks in Canada and then go, but yeah, I can't see it sure. happening. Probably after a few days of bad beats, we'd both be Oh. wishing we stayed home and oh we should have just stayed home not not went through all of this process so <laughs> yeah it probably would have saved a lot of, probably saving a lot of money so it's not so bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um okay well we're gonna start with the first question it's fairly easy did you ever want to be famous growing up um i not famous uh i seek i think like social approval yeah um i kind of I played football at like a good level of um, at like a youth standard. So uh-huh. I was always actually I went to a school where it was a full school, like you couldn't get into the school, and I lived in a different part of the city, so I couldn't go. Mm. Um, but the school like give I was like the only person who got offered a place in the school just because of football. So when I went to the school, I kind of felt like. Um, not like a superstar or anything like that, but I felt like, oh, I'm this big shot who's coming because he's good at football <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And um, from there, I think for like a few years, I got like a lot of arrogance from it where hmm. um, I probably not saw that I was better than other people because it wasn't like that because you're just a kid, but I did kind of enjoy the, I, I enjoyed that kind of status and I enjoyed people giving me attention. Uh, yeah. But then I think when I got to like 16, 17, 18, I got kind of more reserved and, uh, I, I like to stay in like smaller so, uh, social circles. Whereas when I was like 15, 16, I was going out in groups of literally like 80. Like we'd go out wow. on the weekend, there'd be like in a park, like 80 of us kind of thing. And I seeked a lot of like fame in in that 80 mm-hmm. uh, friend group, let's say. Like I wanted to be seen as like the funny guy or the guy who went one step further than other people. So not like famous in terms of like a celebrity, but in my own social circle, I definitely seeked validation. Right. Uh, and the older I got, the less and less and less of that I um, I, I got, I think. Hmm. What do you think it was that kind of like softened that or kind of maybe even moved it into something that can be quite healthy? I mean, like desire to succeed is a pretty healthy thing. Yeah. I imagine it kind of morphed into that. Do you, do you have any ideas of what kind of did that? I think I went, I went to university when I was 18 and – I had like a tough time wanting to be friends with other people apart Mm. from who I was with. Um, 
basically my best four friends or like four close friends, let's say we all went to the same uni uh, and we lived together and mm-hmm. we were, we were really hesitant to like let people in to like our circle, I would say. And we always looked for like the bad in people, I would say. Uh, yeah. We like, oh, we shouldn't be friends with him because of this. Or this guy is annoying because of this. Or this guy does this, which we don't like. Huh. And we were very much like wanting to to stay with ourselves, I think. Right. Rather than, especially like my best friend, like we were very hesitant to let people in. And we, we, were, we, were, we were fine just being in a, in a smaller social circle, I think. Um, we didn't really enjoy the whole um, going out drinking, like getting really drunk, uh, mm. like raving, let's say. So uh, everyone basically wanted to do that because that's what you probably should be doing at university. And uh, <laughs> we didn't enjoy that. We really enjoyed poker, actually. So when people were like going out, getting drunk and coming back, like in bad states, we were like, oh, that's like cringy. Even though looking back now, we both probably wish we immersed ourselves a little <laughs> bit more because it's part of the experience. But yeah. at the time, we just really closed ourselves off. And uh, from then, I was always just very, very happy being in like smaller social circles, I think, mm-hmm. um, or more comfortable, I guess. What do you think it is about you or maybe your character or the way that you grew up that has driven you towards so much success? Um, it's a big jump to decide you want to be a, a professional poker player. There's got to be something in you that kind of allows for that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very obsessive and uh, I do, I'm, I'm involved in lots of different business stuff mm-hmm. uh, like to this date. And something I really struggle with is that I get immediately obsessive over things and people can't match that because they like, let's just say, for example, I really want to play Scrabble and I'm like mm. obsessed about Scrabble. Like someone else's allocation of time or allocation of their like what they want to do is never going to be on my level of like wanting to play scrabble at that time because i'm so like obsessed about like i don't want to just play two games i want to play again and again and again and again and again Mm -hmm. so i think i really struggle in like um i would really struggle in like an office environment because i'm i just see something i just want to do it like literally like I don't want to sleep for like 30 hours. I just want to do this one thing. Like, let's say there was a, I don't play computer games, but if there was a computer game I was into, I would, I could probably play for like three days without eating or drinking. Just, I just get so obsessed. I think poker is perfect for me that it's an individual thing. It's like, I deal with myself. If I want to work one hour, I can work one hour. If I want to work 24 hours, I can work 24. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm very lucky that uh, I found something which is very individual because I don't think there is many careers which are, so individual like if you work in an office it closes at five o'clock that they're kicking Mm -hmm. you out literally you know yeah i I couldn't really deal with that um i used to work for a company in uh south of spain and i remember one time working till like 2 a.m uh but other times i wouldn't go in until like 4 p.m uh so like i really struggle in like conventional workplace Mm -hmm. but i think poker just offers me that thing which which i want you know Mm -hmm. I've talked to a lot of um, professional poker players and people do tend to kind of debate whether their lifestyle habits came from playing poker for so long or whether they chose poker because of their character. And maybe they're even, you know, some people are just normally nocturnal. Like it's a very small percentage of people, but it happens. And I think poker is one of those careers, especially online poker, where, I mean, it just fits so many of those categories so nicely. And I don't know. Do you find a lot of people are very similar to you in that when you're, you know, in poker? Um, 
Yeah, yes and no. Yes and no. I think um, a lot of people who I've worked with or been friends with have really struggled with that and they kind mm-hmm. of seek the social side of the, you know, office. Yeah. Or like the the team spirit or, you know, going for drinks after work kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think from being at university and, you know, what I spoke about earlier about not wanting to be in those like bigger social circles or like being very happy, kind of being independent. Yeah. Um, I've, I've never really strived for that social side um for me i can speak to you know someone on skype or discord and get almost uh, a better conversation you know like a mm. more deeper conversation uh on like a, a deeper level we can uh you know research things whilst we're speaking on you know like google <laughs> yeah. to back things up or like watch videos together or whatever it may be but um i mean it probably sounds extremely geeky but i've always kind of I wouldn't say I, I prefer interaction online to in person because I, I am very, I am a social, I am very, I do enjoy the social side of being with my close friends, but mm-hmm. I don't lack the, let's say, social side of being in an office, I don't think. Right. Uh, which I think a lot of people, was one. It, that's one of the main things people enjoy about the, the job, you know, like the social side. And the, mm-hmm. I don't mean like drinking or anything. I just mean like being part of a team, you know, like working yeah. within a team. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like I would let the team down almost because there'll be times where I wouldn't want to work for, you know, eight hours. And then I feel like I would get frustrated at other people because when I want to work, they're at home or whatever, you know, right. so. sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is fun. Yeah. So what was it like then for you with lockdown and having to be, you know, living online? Because I imagine that it, it wasn't as impactful for you because you really have a lot of strong connections online. Yeah, so basically, like, uh, online poker kind of, I wouldn't say died, but, like, really slowed down at, like, high stakes about Mm -hmm. three years ago, I'd say. Um, So you could, I have, like, a slogan, like, never miss a Sunday. It's, like, uh, I I think I've played every single Sunday for the last, I don't know, 10 years or whatever. (laughs) And uh, it's really tough to get, like, good action, I'd say, like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm -hmm. But lockdown essentially made every day a Sunday. The the prize pools on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays were the same as a Sunday because everyone was indoors. Mm -hmm. So for me, I didn't change my routine at all apart from, like, exercise uh, and not being able to play football, kind of. That Mm -hmm. that was the only difficult thing. Uh, In terms of, like, work, it was just, like, any other day like I was in my office working um if anything I would say lockdown was obviously terrible I've, I've got people very close to me who've been affected and I would never try to uh put it in a positive light but mm-hmm. from from someone looking in from a different planet they would they would probably see me kind of I guess like prospering or like enjoying lockdown let's say because it just allowed me to be busier um mm-hmm. a lot sometimes you feel like oh i wish i could be playing now i really feel like i'm in the mood to play now but if there's nothing to play you, you can't play if that makes yeah. sense yeah um so i basically just yeah I, I just i just worked basically every day for you know the first six months until everything really slowed down if anything i think it was quite intense i think a lot of players i've spoken to have just kind of now realized how intensely we really went for it um right because, you know, when you play like a W coop or a scoop, you play for like two weeks and it's it's very intense and you, afterwards you feel dead basically. But lockdown was basically like a six month W coop at the time, which <laughs> looking back now is feels a little bit absurd, I think. 
Yeah, it's that is really intense. I mean, um, I wasn't really able to play, I think, almost at all online because the lockdown for me with a toddler meant that I had basically yeah. no free time, which was really strange. But my husband does play online poker. And so he was able to kind of throw himself into it. Mm. Um, and then he kind of had to as well because he, you know, he he threw his back out. He had herniated his back, unfortunately. And so he wasn't actually able to do anything except oh. for be on his computer. And so I was kind of doing all of the rest of it. And it was really strange, like the intensity of of what he was doing versus the intensity of what I was doing. It was very, very different, yeah. but it was a, it was a really weird time. Yeah. And I'm actually still kind of looking forward to it ending. Cause we're still kind of stuck in a part, not a lockdown, like it's a little less so, but yeah, we're, I'm definitely not like able to do what most people are able to do. So yeah, I, yeah. So it's very intense. And I think the length of it, especially like you're saying for poker players who are playing, especially at that level, at that high level of intensity and stakes for so long. Did you yeah. take a break after? Like, have you have um, you had kind of a break? No, no. Uh, I, I've actually like really struggled with breaks, like throughout my career. It's probably like mm. one of my biggest weaknesses, but um, I don't think I've I don't think I've ever taken like a week off since like since that week in in, in Bristol. Literally, like um, I just I just can't do it. I'm I've such a obsessive personality that yeah I can't you know sit on a beach and read a book. Like I, I've tried, I've really tried. I've like flown <laughs> back from holidays before when I've been there for days. I just I used to get anxiety that um, that I was like on a break while someone else was working. Uh, huh. I'm sure there's like a clever quote or something, but it's like when you sleep, someone catches up to you, whatever. Right. And uh, because of online poker now, like at high stakes, there's so few people. Uh, I always felt like, oh, well, I, was, I, I wasn't getting like panic attacks or anything because that sounds extreme, but I was really like visualizing, okay, I'm literally sitting here on the beach and this guy's literally in his office and he's going to find something out today, which I don't <laughs> know. And I really... I just, I really struggled with breaks. So uh, it's, yeah. it's definitely my biggest weakness because I realize that breaks are like essential for, you know, any big, any uh, world-class athletes in any discipline, whether it be football, running, swimming, or mm -hmm. even, you know, politics, whatever it may be, anyone who's at the top of their profession probably takes very good breaks. Um, but I recognize it's a weakness. It's just something I really, I, I can't change, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I hate people who brag about, you know, like, oh, I don't take breaks and stuff. I really don't want it to come across like I'm doing that because uh, that's not, I really wish I was able to, but it's like a, it's like a big flaw in my, you know, mm -hmm. in, in my, in my makeup that I, ca I can't take them, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. With a game like poker where you're always watching people succeed and well and move forward and watch the game in incremental ways move forward or if you're trading I suppose as well things change so fast yeah. and if you're not staying up to date on exactly what's happening yeah. I mean you go away for a week and then you come back and that's you know that's it's that's pretty difficult I think for a lot of people and maybe for athletes as well it's a it's an intense it's an intense thing to do for a living poker <laughs> it's a yeah, really intense sure. thing to do when you're doing it right like well, so much information out there, which is impossible to to take in over, you know, a, a career of say twenty, thirty years. Yeah. But if you're if you're like say Usain Bolt, you're a runner. There's not that much for you to like keep learning, you know. Like true. But in poker, there's just literally infinite things you could you could look into and 
change this or change that to get a new result. And <laughs> it's like, I know that in my lifetime, I will never be able to learn, you know, poker to, to, you know, like more than probably 50% capacity. So you always wow. feel like, you know, nothing. Yeah. Um, so when you know nothing and it's kind of like a job, you feel, it feels weird almost to take a break. Cause you, I, you always like putting yourself down. Oh my God, I, I know nothing. Or, you know, when you're, when you're a tournament player, you lose probably like 75% of your sessions you play. So yeah. like 75% of the time you've had a bad experience and you know, you don't know like most things. Right. So it's like, Oh God, I suck. I need to get better kind of thing. Um, <laughs> the so, mental yeah. game of poker is it's a whole other level of poker that I think, I mean, we don't really talk about it that much in those seminars, you know, especially 15 years ago. It's, yeah. it's a, yeah, I don't think it has a lot of parallels. Um, okay. The next question is a little strange. Do you have a secret hunch about how you'll die? It's really, um, very positive. This one. Um, well, I assume that we're in a simulation, so um, oh, you do. Yeah, so if someone yeah. if someone is controlling the simulation, I, I assume it's also controlled to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, I, I I guess what well, I guess the the simulation has, might be switched off at some point, or yeah, uh, the programming breaks or whatever. So that would be that would be kind of like uh, my dream way to die in like a weird way to kind of like <laughs> tell all my friends who don't believe in it, like, oh, I told you so, you know? Um, <laughs> so that's how I would like, like to go out in, in all glory, but uh, more realistic. I always just assume, you know, like, well, I, well, yeah, like old age, you know, like yeah. just something kind of, something kind of no, no, normal-ish in, in, mm -hmm. in brackets, let's say, but uh, I, I don't expect to like, die in a plane crash or, or anything like that. Right. So the fact that things have been so intense and so bizarre over the last few years, especially if this is a simulation, it says to me that they're getting bored. And that yeah. worries me <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah, because I, I mean, I think it's a simulation as well. I'll be honest, I absolutely do. I don't think it matters for how I react to the world and how yeah. I act in it, because I think I'm still responsible. If I'm a thinking person in a simulation, then I assume other people are as well. And therefore my actions still have the same kind of effect as they would in a non-simulated world. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on the fact that it's a simulation? <laughs> yeah. So basically I assume that when I, when I was, let's say 12, I used to play like PlayStation one probably. And it was very basic like technology, but that wasn't that long ago. And then the next thing which came out when I was like 16 was, do you remember Nintendo Wii when you're playing like oh, yeah. tennis? Mm -hmm. And no one really speaks about that anymore. Um, but Nintendo Wii at the time was like quite revolutionary. It was yeah. quite, oh wow, this is really, you know, this is this is the next level gaming, right? But now only like 10 years, 15 years later, we're like, oh wow, that was really boring. How <laughs> did that? So now we're kind of in the realm of, let's say virtual reality or like yeah. uh, starting to get to the next level. But this will also be seen as really boring in let's say 10 years again. Uh, and then down the line somewhere, whether it be 20 years, 70 years, 200 years, 400 years, whatever it may be, I think technology will get to a level uh, which will match the new generation's desire to uh, push the extremes of technology and essentially build a, a world where instead hmm. of playing FIFA, where you can play with Ronaldo on a joystick, you can actually go and be Ronaldo in a, in a world. Or you huh. can just, or maybe everyone just creates their own world, like uh, 
I'm not sure you remember like Tamagotchis and stuff yeah, like this. Sure. Like there was things you could create which were like kind of yours, you know, when you were younger. And as it, mm-hmm. they were really popular. Uh, there was also these like slimy aliens. I'm not sure you remember them. They were like, there's a huge thing. I was about 12, so like 20 years ago. You could get this like alien and uh, maybe it was a UK thing, but based mm-hmm. every single person I knew had this alien at school. And like the alien kind of like, formed in its slime over like a week or two weeks or three weeks uh-huh. and it went from being like nothing to being like this not life-sized alien but like an alien maybe the size of like both your hands or something like this huh. people loved that this thing was kind of evolving and, and it was theirs and I kind of always remember back to that and now I think that in the future if it gets to a level where you can have your own simulation, which is yours, and you can like watch it and see how things are developing and maybe impacted by, like if you put water on the alien, I think it it went bigger or whatever. I'm not sure you have to feed it kind of thing. Huh. And I just think at one time there will be a place where there's like 7 billion people in the world, there'll yeah. probably be less, but 7 billion people in the world all have the opportunity to have their own simulation. Huh. And then eventually those 7 billion simulations will all, get build their own simulations within you know like it may it may take a billion years but that ends up creating infinite uh simulations (laughs) and i think i I think it's like 99.9 percent chance that our world will build a simulation yeah Uh, and i just think it's quite naive to think that we're living in this time where are we are we the first of infinite simulations or are we one of infinite simulations i think it's very human like to think oh we are doing this or we are doing that but if you really think about Absolutely. it on a bigger scale, I think yeah. it's almost it's almost it's, it's infinite uh, chance that we that it huh. that we that we're the first, you know. That's wild. So, so that's just how I see it. But uh, no, I, yeah. So anyway, I if someone is that. controlling us from a different place, I think uh, if so. We're playable characters, off, basically, or are we um, extras? Are we the NPCs? Potentially, yeah. yeah. Potentially, I'm not sure. I think probably it's created a level where our minds can't comprehend because it's like so yeah. far in the future. So. I'm sure like how we think as humans in say 500 years, we won't be able to comprehend now. So it's quite difficult to comprehend how someone who formed such a sophisticated world as what we live in to Mm. like what we could be or what we are, if that makes sense. It does. Um, But yeah, that's how it does to me. I've been thinking about these things since I was a kid. And I mean, simulations didn't really exist when I was a kid, but I remember thinking as a kid, this is that it was like that vague idea of that's what it must be. Yeah. And then, you know, especially when it, all this stuff came out, but well, when, however yeah. many years ago talking about whether it was an actual simulation and really smart people were talking about it publicly. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I always had an, a feeling that it was. Um, yeah. I mean, is it is it more likely that Donald Trump and Boris Johnson are like the two right? biggest powers in the world? Uh, or is it more likely that they're like characters from somewhere else who, like if I chose to be in another world, I would choose to be like, you know, the leader of the biggest country in the world or be a footballer or whatever it may be. I wouldn't huh. choose to be like a poker player or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? So um, yeah, that also yeah. supports the argument a little bit more as well, I think. Huh. Okay. Um simulation or not for what in your life do you feel most grateful most grateful um I think I feel most grateful that I've had no bumps in my life at all like it's been very very smooth sailing Hmm. there's nothing ever held me back like I haven't had any bereavement of like closed ones I've always had you know finance to not worry um I've always had good health myself I've never been in hospital um I've never had anything which has held me back. And I think working with so many players at Bitby before, 
there were so many people with potential who were held back by either maybe, you know, their parents died and they couldn't deal with it, or maybe uh, they needed, they had a, a new child and they needed to, you know, support them by having a nine to five job or mm-hmm. people beside them didn't support their career or they had health issues um, or yeah, anything like that. Uh, and I never, I've just never, ever had a bump in the road. I don't think, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's been a very, very smooth sail and easy, easy ride. Let's say, I, I mean, I know I've worked hard or whatever and put time in, but I think, I think luck is, I think there's been, it's more down to the fact that I've been lucky that nothing's held me back and I've been able to go from, you know, like step two to step three without any, any real like massive thing holding me back, mm. you know? Um, it's very clear, clear eyed of you to be able to see it that way. I mean, I think, I think it's human nature for us to see how hard we've worked more than to see kind of the benefits that have held us up. <laughs> I don't know yeah, if that makes sure, sense. Yeah. Sure. I, would sp- huh. I would put down like at least 50% of, of all like success that I, I have had and will have down to the fact that I know I just have never had any problems, you know, right. it's just very lucky. Hmm. Okay. Well, if you could change anything about the way that you were raised, what would it be? The way I was raised, um, so I, like I just alluded to, I had a very easy kind of childhood, no, mm-hmm. um, no problems at all. I would say that um, I would like to have maybe been pushed a little bit more academically. I was, I was kind of, um, I was kind of not raised like this, but I was quite talented at football, soccer, and in in the UK football is like available all day every day so i would play football seven times a week after school uh in school i'd be thinking about the big match that evening or this scout is coming to watch me or that scout is coming to watch me and Mm -hmm. i didn't care for school at all um which is quite sad because i'm so interested now in so many different things like i'm so interested in you know politics and science and business and uh even you know English, so much different things. But at school, mm-hmm. I would say I probably performed at like ten percent of my capacity, or at, at least I I put ten percent of the effort I could have put in. Um, mm-hmm. I just wasn't I wasn't driven by academia at all, and uh, it's something I, I kind of regret. There's even things now, like in my adult life, which I don't know, which I should probably know because I didn't listen. Like. In England, science is a huge thing. You, you do science like twice a day, uh, physics, biology, and chemistry. Like you you alternate between the three. And mm-hmm. there's so much stuff now and I just don't know. And I think if I had like a child when I was 25 and they asked me, oh, daddy like this or daddy that, I just wouldn't be able to tell them stuff. And I always grew up thinking my parents are so smart. Like if I asked them <laughs> anything about anything, like could be anything about politics, anything about history, anything about geography, anything about science, anything about maths, they just knew everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I could never really work out how they knew because I knew so little because I didn't really pay attention at school. So like in school, I was like a, a B star student. So like I did well, but I just think I could have done a lot better. And uh, I think in the back of my mind, it feels like I still have that not childhood trauma or anything, but like unfinished business, let's say. So I right. do think I will. Like I did go to university. I became a journalist. I did journalism. Like I got a good degree and stuff but I like I could have done more I think and uh right. I would like to at a later day I think huh what sort of subject would you go towards if you were going to go back and do another degree or a master's or, or whatever 
Um, probably like PPE. Uh, it's like politics, philosophy, economics, yeah. um, I think, because I want to learn about as much stuff as possible. And mm. uh, it kind of they kind of combine quite well. And it's also stuff which I can probably use as well in life, I think. Uh, right. I wouldn't want to just do like uh, like a history degree and like learn more about history. I'd like to learn stuff I could maybe use you know um maybe use as a as a job like after or hmm. so there's like an after that you've got in the back of your mind as well um I'd say it's almost a present like uh huh. I have like I have a bunch of businesses I'm involved in and and own and run etc um so it would just be kind of uh it would kind of be like just pushing them to the next level or supporting them uh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we're all the way to the third set of questions already. Um, have you ever been truly terrified? Truly terrified? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure the difference between like truly terrified and terrified. Uh, I feel <laughs> terrified sometimes. Uh, I just moved from like uh, an apartment block into like a a house mm-hmm. uh and i was about two days ago i was absolutely sure that there was someone downstairs uh, and i was i was home alone and I, I was sure someone was downstairs and uh i think when i'm when i get fearful or when i get terror i'm not i'm not sure it's actually like being terrified but when i'm right. scared lots of things run through my mind so it's like okay who are they why are they here what do they want how are they going to get me how am i going to react like i think fear or terror or uncertainty like gets my mind racing a lot so I was I had like some scissors in my room somehow I think I've just moved into this house I was like cutting the curtains or whatever and uh I had some scissors in my room and I was like throwing them up in the air and like trying to make a noise so that they knew (laughs) that I I had like a weapon even though they would never know it was scissors for somehow in my mind that was a rational thing to do uh and I also made like a fake phone call but it was like 4 30 a.m uh so like I was doing lots of like irrational things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I mostly get fearful in uh, TV shows, I think, or sometimes if I'm uh, up in the middle of the night, fearful of intruders, <laughs> let's say. Yeah. It's it's hard because it's such an irrational thing and we can't control it. I, I mean, we do the most bizarre things when we're terrified, I think. I was once, when I was working um, in London, actually, it was I was working in a, on a poker show and it went until like, very late at night. I think we finished around midnight or something. And I was living in Brighton at the time. And part of my deal was that they would get me a car who would take me to, um, to Gatwick. (laughs) And then I would get a train from Gatwick home or or whatever it was. I'd usually get a taxi, but I went out after work one day and my car was there and I got in and I mean, it's always a different car, but it, they have to get in through the, the gates of sky, the sky studios and everything. And I was in the car when my producer called me and said, hey, where are you? Your car is here. And I was like, well, no, I've already gotten into my car. <laughs> and oh, he was like, wow. uh, no, I don't believe that's true. And I remember like just, yeah, like the pit of my stomach dropped and I went really cold. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, what can I do? Um, wow. And and, the, and, I, and my producer said, well, can you just, here, ask him what his badge number is. So I asked for the, his badge number and she said, that's not a real badge number. And I was like, oh, well, that's terrible. Oh, okay. God. I know. And um so we're having this conversation and then she's like, look, just hand me, hand him the phone uh, and I'll sort it out. And 
I, I don't know what prompted her to say that to me, and I don't know why I did it, but I handed him my phone. So now I have no phone. He has my phone. Jesus. And he's yelling into the phone at her like, and I, I don't even remember what it was because my head is like roaring with adrenaline at this point. And I'm thinking I can, we're on um, the M25, which is like a really fast, fast highway for people who don't know it's the motorway. And I'm thinking I can't jump out. But what I can do is like, I used to be, I, I trained as a, as a Muay Thai fighter a long, oh, long wow. time ago. Yeah, a very long time ago. And I was thinking I can do this, I can do that. I can grab the seatbelt and pull it really tight or, you know, if we slow down. And he threw the phone back into the back seat and we were almost at Gatwick and he pulled in. So he somehow still knew where I was going. And I remember I jumped out and he said something to me that I, I don't quite remember, but it was like, it was very dismissive. And I, I'm basically in my head, I like rolled out of the car right? <laughs> and I'm on yeah. the sidewalk at the side of the terminal and he just screeched away That's and nobody crazy. ever, nobody knew what had happened. The car companies had no record of it, but wow. yeah, my producer had been saying like, I mean, we've got you on camera, we've got the license plate on camera, so you just need to drop her off. And I don't know if it was a mix up still to this day at the cab company or what, but like completely irrational, right? To give him my phone. Yeah. I have <laughs> actually, you actually sparked a, a memory for me too, which is definitely my most terrifying moment. Mm. I was, um, I was actually on a first date in uh, Vegas <laughs> of all places. <laughs> and we were at like a bar and we got picked up from an Uber or whatever. And uh, we were like dropping her off home uh, on the way to me going home. And we got into the taxi or the Uber and we said, uh, hi, how's it going? Blah, blah. And he's like, oh, terrible. And when you're like kind of drunk, I guess, or you're like, oh, like what's wrong? You know, like mm. starting to be like the counselor for the, for the Uber driver. Um, he was like, uh, my wife just committed suicide, uh, 30 Oof. minutes ago, 30 minutes ago. And, uh, my, what? my son's at home by himself. And, uh, I was like, what? I was in a way where I wanted to like stay quiet almost. I was mm -hmm. like quite shocked. It's like quite a big thing or even dismissive maybe like it wasn't true. And the girl uh, was like, she was just asking like 50 questions. Oh, wow. and I was like, try, I did, I couldn't say stop because he was there too, whatever. And right. basically it worked out where he'd, his wife had committed suicide like 30 minutes before. And he had like a two year old son at home. I think oh he was God. like very, very young. Um, but in Uber, I think he got paid like daily and he needed money to like pay for his son's food the next day kind of thing. Oh my um, God. And he was driving and then he would drive faster and faster. This is like 3am in Vegas and, uh, his, his phone, um, his phone was getting loads of messages through from like, like, let's just say, mom, are you okay? Son, answer the phone, blah, blah, blah. It was like, mm. you know, when you're in a movie and you see like the phone, like beep, 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 mm -hmm. like really like so many messages. It was like that. And um, at one point he like almost stopped answering this girl's questions and he just like started turning the music up louder and louder. Yeah. And he was driving faster and faster. And uh, I realized that he hadn't ever stopped and uh, he was just driving through red lights. And, oh my God. Um, at this point, I was like, I didn't know whether to, he was very angry. Uh, and I didn't know whether to try to stop him. And he was, seemed to be getting more angry the more that we spoke. So like, I think yeah. she realized and stopped. Uh, and then he just like screeched and pulled over and he dropped her off. It was like at her house somehow. Huh. And then I somehow, for some stupid reason, stayed in the car. Uh, and he just kept driving rational. faster, yeah. faster, faster. 
And I think I asked him to stop once uh, and he just didn't do it. <sighs> and we drove through probably, I think, like six red lights in Vegas. Uh, oh, wow. It's like, you know, in Vegas, they have these long streets like yeah. Sahara, et cetera. And I was like, there's a, it's probably like a 10% chance here that a car is just going to hit us or whatever. And uh, eventually we got home. And uh, afterwards, I was like very shaken up. So that was probably the Oof. closest I've been to, let's say, death. But at the same time, I felt extremely guilty about being uh, scared or fearful because this guy's just lost his partner. He has got a child or whatever. Um, so I, I almost like st- stopped myself being terrified out of guilt because yeah. however bad it is for me now, it's worse for him, let's say. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a very, that took me a while to, to kind of get over. I think it was probably like yeah. six years ago. Um, so it's yeah. terrifying and a horrible situation. Like yeah. it's both of those things at the same time. It's just Yeah. So I guess terrifying. we're both fearful of, of taxis and Ubers now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm really careful about cars I get into now. <laughs> yeah. I no, yeah, d- definitely should be. Absolutely. Wow. Okay, um, let's see. There's time for a couple more questions. So I'm going to skip forward and say, um, are you the kind of person who dwells on mistakes or like embarrassing moments or are you someone who lets them go? Um, I would say I'm very conscious of being embarrassed and yeah. uh, I don't put myself in dis- I'm very, I like, I would, I'm not sure the way to phrase it, but I kind of sacrifice potential good times to save embarrassment, which is ah. like, I'd say one of my bigger weaknesses. So like I, I own a football team and uh, there's times where I could play in the team. Uh, and I, I would like estimate that, you know, 90% of the time everything's going to be fine. Yeah. But the 10% time that somehow it goes wrong and it's all videoed and recorded and I'm embarrassed that mm. I would be embarrassed. That I didn't play good. And people are like, Oh, I thought this guy was good or whatever. Uh, so I don't give myself an experience that I think would be positive. Like if I estimate it from a poker, like, or from an odds point of view, I'd be like, uh-huh. yeah, you know, 90% of the time this is going to be an amazing experience, but I don't allow myself to get in that zone where I'm like laughed on or ridiculed mm-hmm. or uh, people talking about me kind of thing. So I feel like I don't dwell on getting embarrassed because I really, really try to do anything I can not to be embarrassed. Um, I'm like thinking days before, okay, I'm going to be in this situation. I'm going to make sure that I do this so I'm not embarrassed. So I'm going to Mm -hmm. do this kind of thing. So I would say like embarrassment like holds me back a lot. Um, Not actually being embarrassed, but the fear of being embarrassed, I would say. Right. Um, And it probably like same in poker. So if I'm playing, let's say a uh real daily like a 500 daily or 250 daily deep stack mm-hmm. if i play at the table and like i make what may be seen as like a theoretical mistake i don't really care because i feel like okay like they're gonna they're gonna assume that it was the right play anyway because i'm a professional you know yeah. so like, let's just say like someone goes all in for 10 big blinds blind versus blind and like let's just say that i have queen five offsuit and i decide to call because they're gonna look at it and say oh well if he called it must be right um, yeah but if then the next day i played say a 50k tournament um and i had all like world-class players on my table if someone made a move or i like, went all in the same play sorry and like let's say that i had the queen five again mm-hmm. i would not if i was like 80 percent sure it was a call and 20 percent sure it was a fold i would fold the hand because i don't want to be embarrassed that 20 percent of the time where they're texting each other like oh my god how does this guy not know this is a call yeah. so i would say it holds me back a lot uh both huh. like on and off poker um 
so yeah, that's I would say it's a big a big flaw of wow. mine actually. Yeah. I find that so surprising because that's something that I've always really struggled with. But then I, you know, obviously I played a very different level than you do. And when I played the most poker, um, I think it's probably when I was living in the States for a couple of years and I was playing a lot on the circuit and I was doing a lot as like a sponsored player. And for me, the one year that I spent being a real sponsored player, even still though I wasn't like a professional and I never said I was a professional, the embarrassment of being at these like some big tables um, in big events and, you know, knowing that I'd been bought in for PR purposes for other companies and, and that whole thing and, and thinking that people were watching how I was playing and criticizing me. And it just destroyed my confidence. Like I ended up playing worse and worse and worse. And then I stopped playing for a long time and it just ended up playing like as a recreational player because I wanted to get away from that sense of like fear of, you know, she should know better. This was terrible and, and, you know, whatever. And for me, my career was always broadcasting and I did a lot of poker television and that's kind of what I focused on. So I wasn't putting huge hours into poker because I was a, basically a recreational player who got to play a lot of really big events. And for me, it was just, I don't know. I, I, and it kind of made me angry too, which wasn't fair to the other people at the table who probably didn't care. Yeah. (laughs) They probably weren't saying. People are not paying attention. They're not. They're on their phone. (laughs) They don't see how, like, you know, if, if it's a decision between like nine big blinds and 10 big blinds, yeah. and, like such a thin thing in like a high stakes, yeah. in a high stakes tournament, and you know, it's like 9.6 big blinds, you've counted out. They don't, they don't know. They, it's, it's like somewhere between five and 15, you know, like, they're mm-hmm. not even, they don't even care, you know, like uh, yeah. they don't care. And I think once you realize that other people don't care, I yeah. think that's when you can kind of, you know, let loose and, and be a bit more like, yeah, I think so. Way. Um, I agree. I, I try to put myself in positions and situations where I do kind of get a, have the potential to get embarrassed, but then I do dwell on it later. So I kind of have the opposite to you. <laughs> I like so you would be like of, for, if there's like karaoke, you would like go want to be straight up there just to like en- oh, enjoy it, or you would like be fearful you'd look silly kind of thing. I would feel sick to my stomach because I know that I I can't sing. I, like I'm terrible. And anytime I've done karaoke, in fact, I did karaoke at a poker party a million years ago somewhere in Europe. And there were all these French poker bloggers and journalists there. And after we did it, it was a bunch of women together. We did Jolene okay. <laughs> so ba- and so badly. And they came up to me and they, they said, that was a disaster. <laughs> And but I still remember who, it. I still remember it. Sing karaoke will be terrible, though. Like relatively at some right? point, Compared sure. To say you know, like Beyonce, like you yeah. Know, like if someone, if you're like, like I'm, not, I'm not saying you're. Uh, oh, I was if, terrible. I'm not saying you're uh, two out of ten <laughs> singing, but if you're two out of ten, someone else is four out of ten. Like yeah, Beyonce is still very far away from both of you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so true. You're embarrassed yeah. that you're work. What, did you, is your embarrassment that you're like not like professionally good or just like. Well, what, what, what are you embarrassed about? Probably because I'm not professionally good because my job is broadcasting. And so that for me, like being on television or, or whatever, I've always felt like I had to kind of live up to a certain standard of performance, I guess. And so making myself do something I know I can't do, or even when we first started doing live t- TV for ESPN, like when it was properly live, I had this terror that I would forget my lines. And it would be live and I would just go blank and I wouldn't do anything. And I never did. I actually had to get some like proper help for that to kind of work through stage fright and the whole thing. And But I still made myself do it. And uh, I remember someone once told me that um, fear 
and stress kind of is the same in your body hormonally as excitement. Like it's a lot of the same stuff happening. And so it's about changing your mindset. And I did, and it helped, definitely helped. It didn't fix it, but it certainly helped. And I still mm. do it though. I put myself in embarrassing situations all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I mean, that's that's great. I wish I wish I... I wish I could do that. Yeah, uh, I wish it. I didn't dwell on them. I'll be honest. <laughs> I could let some of them go. I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. We barely got through any of my questions. I want to keep talking, but um, we have actually reached the end. <laughs> oh, this was really fun. I like. I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you for doing it. No, thanks. It's a lot more refreshing than how did you get into poker? Actually, I never, <laughs> I never tell anyone the Cara Scott and TK story, so maybe I will. Yay. Lie. Maybe I'll start telling that as my future. How did I get into poker? So. Oh, man, if you could do that, that would be so good for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much um, for coming on and opening up. And, you know, thank everyone out there for listening. I hope that you all feel like you know the person behind the cards and the results even better now. Join me next time on The Heart of Poker, sponsored by 888 Poker. <laughs>